You're listening to Testimonies of Truth. This is the second episode with Gavin Cox, who's a speaker and writer for Creation Ministries International. On this episode, Gavin talks about links between ancient Egyptian texts and the Old Testament accounts, how the pyramids in Egypt connect with the biblical story of the flood, and evidence for Adam, Eve, and creation. Yeah, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast, Gavin. It's going to be great to keep talking to you about um, your studies in Egyptology and some of the things you've learned um, with the Old Testament and Christianity as well. So, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Maybe if we just start there. Um, so what what else have you learned, I guess, in your research about um, Egyptology and what links there are with the Old Testament, and, and why is that important? Um, well, it's important for Christians to have confidence in the Bible as uh, historically accurate, because, you know, if, if the existence of people like Moses and Joseph in the early chapters of Genesis are in question, then how can people have confidence in the history of the Bible? I mean, Jesus talks about Moses um, completely authoritatively without question and so if, if the history that Moses gave us is inaccurate then that means that uh, Jesus is wrong about something as basic as Earth's history and the history of mankind so uh, that really impinges directly on, on who we think Jesus is you know if he is the inerrant son of God then he cannot be mistaken about uh, the history of mankind and if secular Egyptologists are telling us that you know there's no evidence for Israel and Egypt or there's no evidence for Moses or Joseph or any other key uh, figures in the early chapters of Genesis then we have major problems mm. because it, it, some, some theologians trying to get around that by saying how oh, Jesus just accommodated himself to the kind of the ignorance of the, the first century Jews, but uh, that, that can't be because, you know, Jesus actually said, my teachings are not of myself, but uh, are actually from the Father, and everything that I say comes from the Father, so that, that implicates uh, the Heavenly Father in Jesus's error, so uh, we can see that, you know, soon the, you know, the seriousness, uh, it kind of piles up for us as, as biblical uh, Christians, so you know, a lot of Christians just think that this applies perhaps to the early chapters of Genesis and creation, and whether you believe in a, a literal six-day creation and a, a global flood, which of course you know Jesus upheld. But it it, it goes further than that, and um, you know it impinges upon who Moses is and who Joseph is. Of course, uh, even today. Um, the Jewish people, they celebrate the Passover as something that really happened. But then if we listen to some of these secular Egypt, uh, um, archaeologists and, and Egyptologists, they will tell us, oh, there's, there's no evidence for Israel in ancient Egypt. It never happened. So uh, th- these are serious questions that we have to grapple with as Christians and, and archaeologists. And uh, from what I've seen, uh, we can have confidence in God's word as historical truth, and that uh, 
you know, the evidence there is consistent with the biblical history. I suppose when we say, when we talk about evidence, then we can't have so much uh, weight of expectation on that evidence because, you know, we haven't found a lump of stone yet saying Moses was here, although possibly there have been inscriptions found with the names of Moses and Joseph in the Sinai Desert. Mm. It could have been written by uh, wandering Jews uh, during the um, when they were expelled from ancient Egypt to go to the Promised Land. So that's, that's another story perhaps we could talk about. But uh, yeah, I mean, from, uh, from a Christian perspective, uh, we need to realize that the evidence there doesn't contradict the Bible, but it's consistent with, but we also mustn't um, rely on that evidence overly to try and uh, prove the Bible, as it were. We've got to allow the, the scriptures to breathe. We've got to allow the scriptures to interpret the evidence. Mm. Um, Gavin, what are some of the um, insights that you've gained and the discoveries you've made from your research in regards to Adam and Eve and creation? Yeah, sure. Well, that's all very interesting. Particularly when I did my master's degree in ancient Egypt, I looked at a what's called a cosmogony that's a, a an ancient egyptian belief about the origins of the gods as well as creation and they talk about a group of eight gods called the Ogdod in greek or in uh, in ancient egypt speak it's Khunu. that's how you pronounce it how they think it's pronounced Khunu, which means eight the eight and uh, so there's that, that group of eight is uh, full male gods and their wives, and the chief is called Nu. And so the, there's very powerful evidence there in the inscriptions uh, and the, the meanings of those names. So as far as you go back, uh, they're, uh, they don't just appear much later, but uh, there's, there's evidence for them right back into the pyramid texts. So that means that... Um, ancient Egyptians knew about Noah and his family, and if they knew about Noah and family, they must have known about Adam and Eve. And of course, we can ask, why ancient Egypt? And uh, well, the early chapters of Genesis gives us the clues. And it talks about, um, well, we have two major clues why we connect, why we can look for um, clues for Adam and Eve and Noah and the flood in ancient Egypt, and uh, that is with the early chapters of Genesis connecting the land of Egypt with Noah and his sons. So um, the actual land of Egypt, the name Egypt, isn't used in the Hebrew Bible. Um, the word used for Egypt in the Hebrew Bible is Mizraim. And of course, we know who Mizraim is. That's uh, one of the, the sons of Ham. So Ham had four sons, Mizraim, Cush, and Canaan. And of course, Canaan went up to and founded the land of Canaan. And uh, Mizraim founded Egypt. And also in the Psalms, it calls the land of Egypt the land of Ham, or the tents of Ham. 
And so right there in the, the Genesis genealogies in uh, Genesis chapter 10, it talks about the, uh, the sons of Noah and uh, the lands that they, they inhabited. So uh, we can, the, the, the Bible gives us the, the direct links there that would suggest that uh, ancient Egypt should be our first port of call when it comes to looking for knowledge of Adam and Eve and Noah and the flood. So particularly with uh, evidence for Adam and Eve, there's uh, lots of very intriguing evidence. Of course, we've got to realise that this evidence has been paganised. So when Ham uh, entered Egypt, the land of Egypt, probably sometime after Babel, or maybe around the same time as Babel, um, he went with his son, started a, a colony, and a colony grew. Everybody recognised that uh, Ham was outliving everybody. His age was quite incredible. So uh, if we compare him with uh, his brother Shem, uh, after the flood, he lived another 500 years after the flood. So all all, Shem was 600 years old. So... Uh, that would have been quite incredible to later generations that uh, Ham would have been outliving everybody else. Plus, he had all of that knowledge of the pre-flood world that he took with him. So uh, Ham must have known from his uh, father's teachings, Noah's teachings, all about Adam and Eve and the fall and creation, uh, all those generations up to the flood and having experienced the flood himself firsthand, he would have taken that knowledge with him into ancient Egypt. And so, uh, armed with that big biblical foundation, that biblical knowledge, if you like, we can make some predictions and start looking for evidence. And uh, this is what I've done um, in my latest journal article that's going to be published sometime next year and we also had an online conference and I gave a presentation about evidence for Adam and Eve in ancient Egypt. So uh, if we're looking for evidence for the founders of ancient Egypt then we should look right back in the oldest texts and the oldest inscriptions. Of course there would be the pyramid texts so we can start looking there. There are some main major corpuses, not what called corpuses or collections of writings in ancient Egypt. And so the, the oldest ones, which go right back to the fifth dynasty, they're the pyramid texts. And so there are pyramids in the Saqqara plain, which is like 20 kilometers south of, of Cairo. And there are a number of pyramids there with, and if you go inside the burial chambers on the walls, and in the corridors, they're covered in uh, pyramid texts or hieroglyphic texts. And uh, they've been translated by a number of different scholars over the years. And uh, they're very esoteric spells for the afterlife. Um, very, very strange. But uh, some of these names and concepts uh, that I'm interested in actually crop up in these pyramid texts. Now, the, the conventional dating of these texts actually puts them before the flood uh, when you compare that to the Masoretic timeline. 
So uh, we would say that you know, there's some problems with chronology there, which is based on Minitho's extended chronology and carbon-14 dating, so we need to take that into account. <clears throat> we recognise that these pyramids were obviously built after the flood. So to begin with Adam, we have a creator god called Artem here that crops up in the pyramid texts, and he's a primeval god, and he's a, uh, considered to be a creator god, and uh, this, this idea of creation has the primeval mound coming up out of the primeval ocean. And uh, this actually represents the, the Benben stone, which is the capstone of the pyramid. And uh, so the, the, the pyramid itself is an extension of this, this Benben. So this idea of the primeval mound, that's what the pyramids are, is the, the primeval, the first land after creation or the first land that rose up out of the flood and so we have this concept in uh, Genesis chapter 1 when God said let the dry land appear and so that first land of creation it came up out of the Tihon the deep mm -hmm. the great deep the, the primeval ocean there and again we have that concept at the end of the flood where it says that uh, the, the mountains appeared so if you imagine you're on the, the ark for just over a year, well, at the end of the, the 150 days anyway, the, the, the tops of the mountains would begin to be seen. That must have been a great relief to all on board the ark when they saw the, if you like, the primeval mound rising up, the first land mm. at the end of the flood. It would have been a, a tremendous psychological impact upon them. So Ham would have seen that himself, the the mountains rising up out of the flood. Eventually the, the ark itself landed on the mounts of Ararat. And so we have this idea of the primeval mound, the Benben, rising up out of the Nun. That's the name of the, uh, the primeval ocean, the Nun or the Nu. And that sounds very much like Noah's name. And in fact, there are some very intriguing linguistic connections between this idea of the Nun or the Nu and uh, one of these eight creator gods called, from the Abdode, who's called Nu. And so uh, we have Artem, uh, which is the first cosmology, first idea of creation. Uh, Artem springs up onto the primeval mound, and uh, he starts to create other gods. So he's the first god, and then after him, other gods are created, and they actually uh, are pro procreated naturally. So they're thought of as, as biological, they, they're actually sort of living gods. And uh, when you consider the, the actual spelling of the name Artem, it is phonetically very similar to Adam, and especially when you recognise that uh, the dental sibilant sounds D and T could be swapped around in uh, the ancient Near East in Egypt, and there are many examples of words spelled meaning the same thing with, with D and T, so that uh, <clears throat> the, the D and the T can be transposed. And when we recognise that we actually supply the vowels, we, we don't know how these words actually were pronounced, we have to supply the vowels. Uh, Artem could actually be pronounced Adam, and so uh, we have a, an ancient god who looks very good as a, uh, a candidate for Adam and his when you look at the 
the phonetic root for that name, dun, so uh, when we consider a word has a phonetic root, that's like the core structure, the core sibilant structure of the word, which in case of Adam or Artem is tung or dun. And then we look at words uh, with that core structure in ancient Egypt, we find words that have the same meaning as Adam in Hebrew. And so we can understand the name, the, the actual meaning of uh, the name Adam in uh, Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, by looking for uh, phonetic uh, markers in the Hebrew text. And so uh, theologians recognize um, this uh, idea of, called para, paraassonance, uh, which is punning, basically. Um, but that's, that's not uh, making jokes. Uh, a pun is uh, a connection, a linguistic connection made on another word in the language to um, actually express a meaning. So when we look for the, the name of Adam in the Hebrew text, you start to come across words that sound the same. So in, for instance, earth, uh, uh, Adama, okay? So when you uh, uh, compare the name Adam with earth, Adam, Adamar. So when a Hebrew reader reads the Hebrew text, they read Adam, Adamar, and they make a connection in their, their mind. Um, Dam, meaning blood. Uh, Dam, meaning red. Red earth, red clay. So you get all these, these ideas coming together phonetically in the Hebrew text. And when the reader reads that, they'll say, ah, Adam, clay, red. Uh, there's another case of Edom. And uh, in the Genesis text there, his brother comes in and he says, I'm really starving. And he says in the Hebrew, give me some of that red red, uh, referring to his brother's stew. Mm, and, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it sounds like Dom. Edom is asking for some red. And there's all these phonetic clues in the Genesis text. And so um, theologians have recognized that for a long, long time. Mm. And it works. There's, there's loads of different puns throughout the Old Testament on names in Hebrew. Mm. So it works with uh, the names of Noah. So his name uh, sounds like rest in Hebrew. His son's names as well. Uh, you can work out what they mean. So when you compare that idea, concept, in, with the, the Egyptian texts, you can actually find very similar things. So, so yeah, I've, I've, I've actually compared the, the, the Egyptian words for Artem with, with these phonetic roots, and you get the, the same sort of thing. So red, also uh, Tumu means the people. Um, so there's, there's always these, these phonetic connections. So it seems that Ham took all of this, this um, knowledge with him and affected the, the language at a very basic level mm. and took this uh, sort of the, the creation with him. Yeah. And so when you, when you look at these, these clues, they're all there in the languages. You're listening to Testimonies of Truth. 
Follow us on Facebook or Twitter to stay connected or send us an email at testimoniesoftruth.content at gmail.com. Also, check out our website, which is testimoniesoftruth.podbean.com, where you can listen to other episodes and find out more about the show. But uh, then you, you need to look at not just the, the linguistic evidence, which is interesting, but not conclusive, not proof in itself. You want to look at the inscriptions and see uh, are there connections with uh, ancient Egypt with the inscriptions. And so you, you go to various temples, um, and there are some excellent examples in 20th dynasty tombs where Artem appears before what's called the Ished tree, slaying the snake Apophis. And uh, this is very interesting. It has some inscriptions of Artem actually with his paw on the head of the snake and uh, next to this tree, which is connected with wisdom. And of course, oh, we, we start to think about Adam at the tree of knowledge mm. with the temptation of the serpent. And so there's, there's some really intriguing links there. And uh, I'm probably the first to make this discovery. I've not, never read it anywhere else. That uh, this tree called the Ishad tree, uh, which is connected with wisdom and knowledge and understanding in ancient Egypt, when we compare it phonetically with the Hebrew for tree of knowledge, it sounds virtually identical. Mm. So in, in the Hebrew, tree of knowledge is Etzahad, mm. and the, the Egyptian uh, name of this tree, which actually crops up in the pyramid texts, is Ished. So when you compare Etzahad with Ished, it's very, very similar, very intriguing. Mm. And uh, we recognize that the Ished tree is connected with wisdom and knowledge. And for instance, uh, it appears in Ramesses' uh, temples, where... Um, Artem appears with another god called Thoth, and they write on the, on the leaves uh, the rain lengths of the pharaohs. So uh, unless you've had your name written on the leaves of the Ished tree and how long you're going to rain, then you're not legitimate. So again, uh, the tree is connected with wisdom, knowledge, uh, length of life, so we see all these intriguing connections. Even the fruit of the Ishet tree, uh, they crop up in the pyramid texts as well for fairs for the afterlife. So you've got to have Ishet tree fruit in your list of provisions for the afterlife. Mm. So there's uh, lots of interesting connections there. And of course, Artem has a wife. It's, it's a bit like Mrs. Adam in the ancient Egyptian language, Artemet. So uh, we just put the T on the end, which makes it feminine. Mm. And uh, her name is translated as Ancestress Mother, which is exactly the meaning of uh, the Hebrew for Eve, which means the, the mother of us all mm. living, the mother of all living, that's uh, in Genesis 3.20. Yeah. So there's some really interesting uh, phonetic connections and inscriptional connections and religious connections in ancient Egypt, which makes you completely convinced that uh, mm. ancient Egyptians actually knew about Adam, 
in creation and worshipped Adam as a creator God. Yeah. You think of Adam as the first man, who <clears throat> was full, who was sinful. But uh, <clears throat> the ancient Egyptians, they basically had two rules. If it moves, deify it. If it doesn't, deify it. So they, they, they had gods for everything. <clears throat> the sun, the sky, the moon, the earth, the sea. Everything was deified. Mm. So we shouldn't be uh, surprised that these early characters in biblical history were also deified. So uh, Adam and Eve were deified along with the creation itself. Mm. So, Gavin, I just wanted to know, many archaeologists and Christians, even churches from Africa to, you know, Israel, all claim to have evidence of the Ark of the Covenant and even photos of Noah's Ark. Do you know if there's been any um, verifiable evidence for any of those artefacts ever being found? Um, the short answer is no. Uh, Ron Wyatt was a self-proclaimed archaeologist who claimed many things, including discovery of the Ark of the Covenant, um, and also uh, evidence for uh, the, the overthrow at Lot with Lot and his wife at Sodom. And uh, I think he's also dis claimed to have discovered chariot wheels on the red bottom of the Red Sea, but uh, his his supposed discovery of uh, the Ark of the Covenant was only a kind of self-proclaimed thing. It's never been backed up. So unless, if you make extraordinary claims, you have to provide extraordinary evidence to back those claims up. And he never did any of that. He also did a lot of uh, research onto the site called Junipa uh, in Turkey. Um, and uh, there, there's a lot of exploration on that. Um, even um, Dr. John Baumgartner got involved with that, uh, doing a, a magnometer um, survey, and uh, he concluded it was just a natural phenomenon. Um, it's basically this: this is an arc-shaped um, mud flow on the side of uh, the lower slopes of. of um, the, the mountains of Ararat and it, it looks like a, an arc shape and it just happens to be sort of similar dimensions to the arc but there are other formations in the area that are also arc shaped but are obviously not the right sort of size and uh, so there have been numerous uh, supposed eyewitness uh, sightings of the Ark on the, the upper slopes of the, the main peak of Ararat. And, um, these are extensively uh, catalogued in uh, Vance Nelson's book um, at the flood. I mean, they're very interesting. And they, they come from multiple different eyewitnesses, and uh, they all seem to be saying the same thing that are uh, on. The, the higher regions of the main peak of Ararat there appears to be an anomaly and uh, whether it's there or not we don't know because no one has had conclusive evidence uh, unfortunately there was a big fraud about I suppose four or five years ago with a Chinese group called the Nami group um, 
possibly they were taken in by a Turkish guide called Parachute, and uh, he basically set up a, a stage, if you like, in a glacier, and uh, over a number of months he took up uh, some quite big, hefty sections of wood and basically built some rooms inside and introduced this uh, Chinese evangelical group to his stage and uh, got them to believe that uh, this was Noah's Ark and uh, this had uh, a lot of influence in China at the time and uh, actually our own Carl Wieland who at the time was uh, the CEO of our Australian office actually went out to meet with the Nami uh, the Chinese Christians and had a look himself and uh, he could see the wood had been cut by a modern saw and uh, a circular saw actually has a very distinctive um, profile in the wood and uh, so you know he, he could see that it was just a stage mock-up so uh, unfortunately there's been a lot of uh, unfortunate fakery around these areas and it, this is kind of an area that we need to be very careful of as Christians. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these are huge, explosive, uh, and profound findings if they are true, and uh, they have major implications for world culture and religions. And so, you know, extraordinary claims, as I said, need to be backed up by extraordinary evidence. And so, we need to remain skeptical. You know, so be the first ones to rejoice at the discovery of Noah's Ark or any of the other of these major uh, biblical artifacts like uh, the Ark of the Covenant. But until they've been released to science so that they can be independently verified and checked by other scientists who can repeat and observe and measure and do their own examinations, then uh, such claims as they have been made, have to be dismissed. So we have to remain sceptical about these so-called claims. But yes, I mean, I would love to think that one day Noah's Ark would be found in the Ark of the Covenant. There's all sorts of swirling uh, ideas that maybe Mossad have the Ark, or it's, it's still to be found underneath the, uh, the, the Temple Mount in some hidden passages maybe but uh, you know who knows why why if you don't know me asking why do you think churches you know all across the world want to claim that they have for example the ark of the covenant or that they know where it is because such things are so affirming to faith aren't they yeah. and we, we, yeah. we want something to hold on to mm. um whereas you know at the end of the day the bible is the best evidence this is god's word that he's given to us and uh, the, the primeval temptation is, has hath God really said? And that's what Satan said in the mm -hmm. garden, and that's what he continues to say to every generation, has God really said? Mm -hmm. So the church is constantly forced with the temptation to compromise mm -hmm. to science and archaeology and say, has God really said about the early chapters of Genesis mm -hmm. or evidence for Israel and Egypt or the existence of Moses and Joseph. Mm. Uh, the temptation is to bow to uh, secular thinking and the thinking of men. But God's word says, you know, my word is far above your thinking.
king as the heavens are above the earth. And so we have to trust and believe God's word that what he said is true. But uh, archaeology is consistent with the Bible. And there have been many, uh, many examples of names in the Bible of kings, uh, particularly the, the divided kingdom. That all these names, many names, uh, I think about 54 different names of biblical characters have actually been discovered in inscriptions. So that's incredibly rare if you think about it, but if you're looking for a, an individual name that has actually come down to us to the 21st century, that has actually um, survived the ravages of hundreds and thousands of years of erosion and war, and, and displacement, and we actually have some of these inscriptions with actual individual names of biblical characters. And that in itself is miraculous, um, particularly when we, we recognize that it's not like ancient Egypt. Uh, they, they inscribed all of their tombs and their temples with names of the pharaohs and their exploits. Um, they're, they're kind of unique in that sense, and certainly the, yeah. when, we, when we compare that with um, Levantine archaeology and the archaeology of ancient Israel, the Israelites didn't inscribe generally on their their, temp, their temples and their walls and their homes or their tombs names. Um, they, they, they tended to keep those things quite uh, bare. So when you do have inscriptions of biblical kings and characters come down to us, it's, it's nothing short of miraculous. Mm. So we can't bear so much weight on that on the archaeological evidence itself. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got to recognise it's consistent with the, the biblical picture, mm. and uh, I think that that's a much safer way to go. Mm. But, uh, there is specific evidence as well that backs up the Bible. Nothing's ever been found to contradict the history of the Bible. I think that's a major thing. Mm. But, uh, you know, you, you can't go to a site or a discovery yeah. and say, "Ha ha, this contradicts the Bible." Mm. It doesn't. A lot of the supposed contradictory evidence relies on chronology and working out uh, dates and particularly relying on things like carbon fourteen dating, mm. which is. Uh, a very uh, dodgy subject. Yeah. It's not as cut and dried as we're led to believe. Mm. So now, are on. there any archaeological or historical discoveries that you personally hope will be made um, in the future, either in Egypt or across the Middle East or even the wider world? Yeah, sure. Um, and obviously, names of biblical people like Moses and Joseph would be wonderful to actually be discovered, but possibly they already have been. There is some evidence in uh, some caves in the Sinai where there are names that uh, look like Moses and they look like Joseph and they seem to be in context talking about uh, the Israelites coming into the land, Moses and the plagues. Uh, these have been uh, translated by uh, an archaeologist, Egyptologist and theologian called Douglas Petrovich. And uh, he's considered very cutting edge in what he's done. He's released a couple of books on these inscriptions that have been discovered in the Sinai caves uh, in Paleo-Hebrew. 
and so this this form of Hebrew is very ancient. It's not at all like the Hebrew that you can read in uh, modern Hebrew Bibles, that sort of blocky square text. This is a, a form of, of Hebrew that looks much like uh, Proto-Egyptian. And so when you compare the, the Egyptian hieroglyphs to this Paleo-Hebrew, you can see some really intriguing connections. It's as though um, Moses perhaps actually uh, formed the language uh, so that uh, he could convey information and the Bible to uh, the, the Israelites. And so this idea that writing wasn't uh, common back then, it looks as though it's been completely obliterated by this evidence. But uh, when, you, when you look at some of the inscriptions that Doug Petrovich has actually um, translated, it's really startling. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it's not exactly word for word from biblical passages, but when you read them, you can think, oh, this is talking about uh, um, Joseph coming into Egypt with his family. And uh, you read about the name Moses, and it looks as though it's talking about uh, Israel leaving Egypt under uh, incredible situations. And, uh, so uh, the there seems to be some very powerful evidence that's coming to light recently, and uh, who knows what could come to light in the future. I mean, obviously, we all want the big ticket evidence, don't we, like Noah's Ark and the Ark of the Covenant, and of course, if these things are found, then uh, it will be world-shattering and world-changing. Mm -hmm. uh, more names, I think. We know we need to find an inscription with uh, an Egyptian inscription with uh, Egypt. Uh, Joseph was here. <laughs> and, uh, there's consistent evidence in the virus, mm. which is the northeastern um, part of the, the the delta in Egypt, where Semitic peoples have been discovered. So, you know, conventional secular archaeology has this area in Egypt, which is basically biblical Goshen. And uh, when archaeologists dig there, they found evidence of Semitic peoples, but they call them Semitic, they won't call them Israel, Israelites, because the chronology still is, still needs to be worked out. And there's, there's a lot of worldview when it comes to chronology and a lot of uh, archaeologists' um, careers at stake when it comes to archaeology and people are very defensive of their, of their positions. So when it comes to adjusting chronology, there's a lot of resistance. And of course, if that chronology is adjusted, that means <clears throat> shock horror, the Bible's history is true, and we don't want that, do we? And so there's, there's a lot of bias in science, and there's a lot of bias in archaeology. Mm. But uh, the evidence is there in the right place that there were Semitic peoples, and it looks as though they up and left very quickly. So the, the archaeological evidence is there that uh, they lived and did the kind of things that the Bible describes and they left very quickly, mm. so uh, consistent with mm. biblical history. But uh, if they can find some inscriptions with some names, that would be wonderful. Mm. Who knows what is going to be discovered? And the fact is that 90% of the archaeological remains in Egypt still remain to be uh, exposed. So uh, I think there's a, an archaeologist called Sarah Parker who's used um, 
satellite imagery to actually uh, show the what's in the sands of ancient Egypt. And if you know anything about infrared, then uh, things like brick walls will absorb heat at uh, different temperatures and will radiate that heat out at different times. And so uh, if you look with an infrared satellite, you will see uh, different infrared signatures in the sound. And some of these signatures are long and straight and bear all the, the markings of uh, intelligent design of constructed objects, cities, villages. We need to, to leave it there for today, but just, um, just before we finish, um, is there anything else that you'd like to um, quickly comment on or say just before we end our time here today, Gavin? Yeah, um, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So uh, when archaeologists say oh, there's no evidence for the Bible, uh, they usually regret it a few years later because something gets dumped up goes out of the sand that basically contradicts what they said. So never say never. Um, archaeology is a constant science that is uh, discovering things all the time. And so we can take the Bible's history as true and look at the right place and start to make discoveries. And that's what many archaeologists who have a high view of scripture are doing. They take the Bible's history as true and they go to the right place and they start digging and they start finding things that are consistent with the Bible's history. So we can trust the word of God as Christians and rely on its history because the history is true, you know, the future is true. And the salvation claims built on that history are true and the moral claims of the Bible are true as well. So you know, from the very first perverse we can trust the Bible and that's what Creation Ministries is all about. Uh, visit creation.com for all your questions about uh, evolution, creation, Egyptology, archaeology, all the ologies, if you like, <laughs> and uh, get answers, get, get equipped so you can share this kind of information with your unsaved loved ones um, to build up faith for yourself as well. Mm. Any, any questions that you have, you can go to creation.com and just go into the search bar there and type out any key terms and phrases but uh, yeah the, the bible is always backed up by science and archaeology mm. so we can trust god's word amen that brings us to an end of this episode of testimonies of truth remember to follow us on facebook or twitter to stay connected or send us an email at testimoniesoftruth.content at gmail.com also, check out our website, which is testimoniesoftruth.podbean.com, where you can listen to other episodes and find out more about the show.